there! You! Yes, you! My name is Bartholomew Corbett, naturalist and inventor. And boy, do I have a revolutionary new product for you, good sir. Are you tired of your good lady wife dying from such dratted diseases as typhus, smallpox, yellow fever, scarlet fever, and state-sanctioned murder? Conversely, are you tired of your very alive wife constantly asking you to take out the garbage, put on pants, or pay attention to your horrible children after your 14-hour shift in the coal mine? Are your dattles all roughed up like sandpaper from constantly abusing your tender bag of mystery? Gone are the days, good sir, of you being forced to participate in mundane sexual intercourse with your church bell of a wife dolly mops, or even the local hedge ranger. I present to you Bartholomew Corbett's Patent and Stuffed Raccoon. Truly the jammiest bits of jam this side of the Mississippi. You can simply stick your throbbing male member into any of the raccoon's flap doodles or orifices and really go to town within the comforts of your very own domicile. Raccoons truly are Mother Nature's sexiest little creatures, and you can have one for your very own organic pocket pussy. My patented stuffed raccoons will never die on you. They will never nag you about taking out the garbage. Raccoons, in fact, love garbage. You could even boil the stuffed raccoon over the stove for an even more personalized experience. Really make it your own. Please buy and fuck my stuffed raccoons. I cannot feed my starving children. Today's actually a really big day for me. Is it? Yeah, today I graduated from Hustlers University. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I see the certificate? Uh, Andrew Tate's actually sending it to me in the mail, but rest assured, I learned how to be an alpha male online. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. Now I can disrespect women, drive a Bugatti. I don't know what that is, but it sounds... Sounds fancy. Sick. Sounds alpha. Yeah. I think it's like cooler than a Lamborghini, I've heard. Yeah, gone are the days of being a Sigma male or an Omega male. We're back mm-hmm. on the Alpha male bullshit. We're full circle. Yep. We were Omega for a while. We had our own thing. But I, Andrew Tate, that weird bald fuck, he showed me a new path. He's like the Johnny Sins of real life. Yeah, he's like he's like Johnny Sinza. <laughs> what? <laughs> like John Cena and Johnny Sins. <laughs> I don't know why. All I, right. Okay, well... Uh, you tried. Yeah, I did. Anyway. Um, you comfortable with that? No. You going to start over? No. You want to just keep going? Yeah. Okay. I figured we'd start out with some things I forgot to mention last week. Uh, firstly, yep. hat finishing was actually called carotene on account of uh, the mercury nitrate turning the treated fur into a shade of orange. I'm pretty sure I've seen enough gay porn to know what carotene is, Derek. Okay, well, Corbett was a carroter. He carroted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it turned his uh, his hair a shade of orange. You know what I mean? Check it out. Orange hair. 
Okay. Well, and also they I uh, I forgot uh that they called Corbett they being like people at his church. They called him the glory to God man because he would stand right near the front of the church and yell glory to God during sermons, mm. offering uh often interrupting the pastor actually. Mm. Okay. Also, before he went a warren, uh <laughs> Corbett stood in front of the congregation of his church and told them that when he was going to have to shoot a Confederate soldier, he was going to go, "God have mercy on your souls." And then just pop a cap in their ass. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, I do have a couple corrections, actually, from last week. One that was uh, brought up to me, and uh, just a comment, a general comment. Uh, uh, Last week, I said that the Confederate Army would hang black Union soldiers that they caught, and that's just not true. I'm sorry. Really? Yeah, they would also whip them and tie them up by their thumbs and just shoot them. Mm. So, a little bit more nuanced than we thought. Yeah, subtle. I also just wanted to say, and I can't believe that we even have to say this, but uh, we're not Adam Lanza fans. Uh, we hate Adam Lanza. I just didn't want to give anybody the wrong idea. Right. Also, fuck Alex Jones. Like, mm. like when, like when you, like when. Uh huh. You want to run the intro then? It's a little sassy. It's a little disturbed. Welcome back to Little Sassy, Little Disturbed, everybody. I'm Ian. With me, as always, is Derek, a little sassy. Hello. Derek, how you doing? Uh, well, considering that I just graduated, like I told you, from Harvard. From Harvard Alpha Male University. Harvard Hustlers University. I'm doing pretty good. I'm ready to get into Boston Corbett Part Deuce. Good kid, Mad Hatter City. Part two. Mercury nitrate poisoning and boogaloo. Mm, it's going to be a good one. I mean, so last week we had just left Boston Corbett, though, following his release right. from uh, America's Widow Auschwitz, Andersonville Prison, mm-hmm. the Confederate-ran POW camp in Georgia as part of a prisoner exchange. That's how he got out, right? Yeah, he started working at Dairy Queen. No, he actually re-enlisted uh, following all of that. And actually, that's where we're going to leave Corbett for now. I figured it was a good time to get into a little background on the man... Uh, who God had destined for Corbett to kill. Okay. And do you know how it is? John Wilkes Booth. Andrew Tate. <laughs> <laughs> John Wilkes Booth was actually born to a wealthy family, shocker, on May 10th, 1838 in Bel Air, Maryland. In West Philadelphia. Born Maryland. and Maryland. raised. Oh. West Maryland. Yeah, try again. Maryland is actually pretty close to Philadelphia. I mean, just like we're close to California. Yeah. Uh, okay. So he was born in 1838. He was born in 1838. Um, his father was actually a famously eccentric actor named Junius Brutus Booth. And if I'm pronouncing Junius wrong, go ahead and send us an email at littlesassylittledisturbed at gmail.com. We won't respond because we don't care. But but I will read it. I won't. I might. Mm, you're a pretty busy guy. Well, okay. <laughs> anyway. John followed in his father's footsteps, uh, becoming an actor by trade. Like he traded something to become an actor? Yeah, he traded his sanity and his empathy for blacks. Okay. Now, after Booth became an actor, he traveled around a lot, as performers do, but he always maintained a strong emotional connection to the South. He idolized it, um, and we'll find out later on that he was willing to kill and die for it. Yeah, you know that uh, CCR song? It's like, some folks are born made to wave their Confederate flag. 
Oh, that red wine, no Jews. That's about John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> I can't confirm that. Uh, <laughs> but you won't deny it. Nope. As far as I, I can will tell. not. Sassy does never denies anything. No, we are not. A, we've never denied a single thing, except for. Ooh, ah, oh, 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 yeah. Now, I believe the author Scott Martell sums up uh, Booth's connection to the South rather eloquently in The Madman and the Assassin, um, where he says, Booth wasn't particularly politically engaged, though he evidenced a class-based disdain for workers. What does that sound like to you, Ian? A performer. Mm. An elite. Doesn't like poor people. Hollywood. Mm. And he carried the predominant white world's dismissive view towards blacks as inferior. He saw himself as a Southerner and embraced the Southern view of the world and rejected the growing calls by abolitionists to end slavery. But it was a back-of-the-mind issue for him. As an actor, he neither owned slaves nor depended directly (laughs) on them for his livelihood. Uh, He was at heart a romanticist who loved the rigid codes and idealized chivalry of the South, and he ached to be accepted and loved by Southerners, even as he made a lot of his living up in the North. Mm -hmm. What a fucking loser. (laughs) Well, he felt a strong Southern identity. He's like, I hate black people because so my dad hated black people (laughs) and was an actor, which means I should too. Now, Booth felt a strong Southern identity, but he didn't join the Confederate military. In fact, the closest he came to that was cosplaying as a reb while attending the hanging of the infamous abolitionist John Brown on December 2nd, 1859. Yeah, he never um, he never enlisted in the Army, despite believing heavily in the cause, much like every other rich white guy's son. <laughs> Is this the year that Corbett cut his balls off? 1859? Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right. John Brown, for those who aren't familiar, can probably be summed up as something of an extremely anti-slavery, religiously fanatic, domestic terrorist. Brown abhorred slavery and considered it an abomination against God. He actually considered himself to be God's chosen vessel to carry out the end of this most evil institution. That's a bold statement. Mm -hmm. Now at this time, one of the biggest issues at this point in the nation's history was whether or not new states would be admitted as slave states or free states. And one newly established state in particular where this was an issue was Kansas. Kansas is actually how it's pronounced. You know any Kansas songs? You should sing a Kansas song at the end of that. Carry on my wayward son. (laughs) There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. All right, how many lines can we leave in without getting sued? Um, I don't care. Okay. Yeah, even though Brown was from New York, he moved to Kansas with several of his sons, and they all became active participants in what's now referred to as Bleeding Kansas, uh, a period during which pro-slavery and anti-slavery forces clashed in uh, recurring eruptions of uh, really vicious guerrilla warfare. Kansas had its own Vietnam. That's why CCR wrote about it. Some folks are born made to rep that Kansas City flag. Ooh, they're great barbecue. Because Kansas City barbecue, get it? Better run through the rednecks. How's that? Uh, Big wheel, keep on toying. <laughs> Is that Kansas? Slave or, oh, no, that's CCR. Yeah, No, it's not. Proud Mary? Yeah, it's proud. Yeah, you're right. God, you're so stupid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, while bleeding Kansas was occurring, a famous anti-slavery senator, Charles Sumner of Massachusetts, was brutally beaten with a cane by a pro-slavery representative from South Carolina, Preston Brooks. He sounds like he owns slaves. Well, he does. (laughs) Hello, sir. I'm Preston Brooks, and I'm here to beat you with this here 
Wooden cane. Wooden cane. I'm going to whip you with a switch, boy. <laughs> okay, Preston. <laughs> we'll start calling him Daddy Brooks. Oh. Now, Brooks, Daddy Brooks ruthlessly beats Sumner bloody and unconscious with a wooden cane at his desk within the Senate chamber, reportedly in response to Sumner's fiery six-hour-long crime against Kansas speech, which Sumner had given days earlier where he had directly insulted a Senator Andrew Butler of South Carolina by declaring Butler's mistress to be the harlot of slavery. That's my favorite Avenged Sevenfold song. <laughs> okay. Well, my favorite uh, Avenged Sevenfold song is a crime against Kansas at this time was thousands of people coming up from Missouri to vote in Kansas's decision on whether or not to be a free or slave state. So they were coming up from uh, Missouri... And voting for Kansas to be a slave state, even though the people in Kansas wanted to be a free state. And you know what? We, so they were committing literal voting f- voter fraud? Yeah. And you know what we here at Little Sassy, Little Disturbed say to that? Stop the count. Don't tread on me. <laughs> Don't tread on me. Don't tread on me, Don't mate. Don't tread on me. It? Now, Senator Sumner was seen as a hero among staunch abolitionists, John Brown included, and his beating was taken personally by Brown and his cronies. Just two days following Brooks' brutal attack on Sumner, John Brown and his sons, along with a band of abolitionist settlers, retaliated in what is now referred to as the Patawatomi Massacre. Now, Ian, do you want to tell us what happened on the Patawatomi Massacre? I sure do, Derek. Hmm. Uh, On the night of May 24th, 1856... Uh, Browned and Browned, <laughs> Zach Brown band, Zach and Brown his band sister. and his uh, <laughs> band of no uh, Brown and his band of uh, freedom fighters. They uh, tore five pro-slavery settlers from their homes and hacked them to death with broadswords while making the families of those men watch. Do you think they made the broadswords themselves? Like where else do you get a broadsword in Kansas? <laughs> A blacksmith? They just have a fucking blacksmith camp? Probably. <laughs> okay. Well, of course, following the Patawatomi Massacre, Brown had to lay low for a while, um, which he did, but he continued to plan for his ultimate goal. On March 16, 1859, uh, Brown orchestrated a raid on a federal armory located at Harper's Ferry in West Virginia. And his intention, as we understand it, was to ransack the armory for weapons and use them in a massive slave uprising finally overturning and ending the institution of slavery in the United States. It is difficult to score in his motive or the end goal. It's a fair point. Uh, Brown's raid did not work, and most of his men were killed, while the rest, including him, were captured. Well, yeah, the U.S. government frowns upon uh, attempted armory raids and slave revolutions, <laughs> so thus John Brown's trial did not go well for him. He was sentenced to hang. Yeah. Uh, so on December 2nd in 1859, Brown rode from the county jail in a wagon sitting atop his very own coffin um, to the gallows erected in a small field. Have you ever been erected, erected. in a small field? Oh, buddy. Every single day. Pitching it. Define small field because like a backyard could be a small field. Like a landing strip? Could that be considered a... Your landing strip was erected? Among those gathered to view John Brown's final act were a few notable figures. General Thomas Jackson, who would actually become 
Stonewall Jackson. You did the reading two weeks in a row. Derek, I can't read. Okay. Someone did the reading for you two weeks in yeah, a row? Yeah. <laughs> the, okay, so, so General Thomas Jackson was there, the great American poet Walt Whitman, and the thespian John Wilkes Booth himself, cosplaying as a Confederate soldier. Wait, Walt Whitman was there? Yeah, Walt Whitman, in fact, wrote... Well, so you didn't do the reading. Walt Whitman, in fact, wrote uh, of bronze... Of bronze and men? <laughs> Walt Whitman, in fact, wrote of Brown's execution in the poem Year of Meteors. And now, Ian, would you grow a wispy white beard and read us Year of Meteors? No. I can't read. I'm not really sure what to do here. (laughs) Year of Meteors, brooding year. I would bind in words retrospective some of your deeds and signs. I would sing your contest for the 19th president. President yet. Oh. I would sing your (laughs) contest for the 19th president yet. I would sing how an old man, tall with white hair, mounted the scaffold in Virginia. I was at hand, silent I stood, with teeth shut closed. I watched. I stood very near you, old man, when cool and indifferent. But trembling with age and your unhealed wounds, you mounted the scaffold. I would sing in my copious song your census, Returns of the States. Mm, I'm so glad I came to this poetry reading. Brown's last words, delivered by his jailer, would be the following. Hey, it's me, John Brown. (laughs) What's going on, everybody? I don't like slavery. (laughs) It's bad. It's bad, okay? I'm quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away, but with blood. I had, as I now think, vainly flattered myself that without very much bloodshed, it might be done. I tell you what. Slavery's bad. Slavery? It's not good. Everybody thinks I'm some kind of religious zealot. I think we should just kill every white person. It's not that big of a deal. (laughs) Starting with Walt Whitman, that guy fucking sucks. His poem about me was not very good. Kind of (laughs) gay. Very gay. I stood close to you, old man. No, thank you. Ew. I'm 47 years old. I ain't even old yet. In the words of Sting, who hasn't even been born yet and won't be for like 100 years, don't stand so close to me. (laughs) Trembling with age and unhealed wounds, I have a poison ivy rash. (laughs) (laughs) I need cream. Does anybody have cortisol? (laughs) I need a salve. Anyway. We're keeping all of that. Yeah, we are. Uh, now, again, we mentioned that John Wilkes Booth was there, and though he strongly disagreed with Brown's ideology because Booth was adamantly pro-slavery. Boo. Boo, slaves. Boo. What? Well, wait, no, not not, <laughs> not Booth slaves, but boo like slavery. slaves. Booth idolized Brown as a strong figure willing to sacrifice his own life for what he believed in. He was like, God, I hate what you believe in, but... Damn, do I respect you. Martyrs, they're fucking cool. <laughs> I wish I could do that. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> martyrs are cool. Martyr- I like them. I like the martyrs. I'm an actor. In fact, Professor David Blight of Yale and Flint, Michigan. Shout whoop, out Flint. Whoop, you hear that, Alex? Would say that John Brown was far more important dead than alive. Yeah, he uh, he gave the North a martyr and the South an antichrist. My dad told me Obama was the antichrist. He is. 
Oh, bummer. Show me the birth certificate. <laughs> Booth continued acting throughout the Civil War. However, his supposed duty to the South called to him, and eventually he became embroiled in a plot to kidnap the President of the United States, who Booth despised and blamed almost exclusively for the plight of the Southern states, and exchange him for Confederate POWs. However, before this plan could be actualized, the Confederate cause suffered a near-fatal blow by the surrender of General Robert E. Loggs. And thus, the Confederate <laughs> Army of North Virginia uh, was surrendered to Union General Ulysses Grant on April 9th, 1865 at the Apatamox Courthouse in Virginia. Yeah, this turned the tide of the war, and it would never turn back, much like real tides. If I could turn back tides. Booth, again, an actor, not a Confederate soldier, was incensed by the victory of Lincoln and the North, and thus the failure of the Confederacy. What's incensed mean? Very upset. Why not just say that? It's my show, I'm Andy Millinery. <laughs> time I don't know what a word is. It's just, just in like, the Boston Corbett. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. On April 11th, Booth attended a public speech in Washington by President Lincoln. And during this speech, Lincoln laid out the coming Reconstruction following the brutal Civil War. And actually, Ian here is going to read us an excerpt from this speech. I don't understand the flow of this quote. He talked dumb. <laughs> Held elections... You want me to do it? <laughs> I got this. You can't. I. It's. I don't. <clears throat> Four skin and seven whores ago, some twelve thousand voters in the heretofore slave state of Louisiana have sworn allegiance to the Union, assumed to be the rightful political power of the state, held elections, organized a state government, and adopted a free state constitution, giving the benefit of public schools equally to black and white and empowering the legislature to confer the elective franchise upon the colored man. Verbatim. Their legislator has already voted to ratify the constitutional amendment recently passed by Congress, abolishing slavery throughout the nation. These 12,000 persons, thus fully committed to the Union and to perpetual freedom in the state, committed to the very things and nearly all the things this nation wants, and they ask the nation's recognition and its assistance to make good their committal. Within this statement, all Booth heard was black people would be able to attend school and vote, and that broke his little dumb southern brain. <laughs> they go, what now? <laughs> Wait a minute. I was fine with them doing work for free, <laughs> but learning? Like he's letting them and work voting? for free. <laughs> they go, learn good? <laughs> Like me? <laughs> I got to look at him at school? 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 Scoobity. So this kidnapping plan was no longer viable because a lot of the POWs got released and the war was over. So Booth decided to take matters into his own hands and ramp it up a little bit. Um, do you know what he did, Ian? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. What did he do? He enlisted the help of several conspirators co-conspirators even, many of whom were involved in the former kidnapping plot. Uh, this is his new plan. No longer would Booth kidnap Lincoln. He would moid at him. So in a way you could call this John Wilkes Booth's final solution. It is fun to note that John Wilkes Booth was 26 years old at this time. Yeah, so meanwhile, <laughs> I'm sitting working at you know a bar and playing whose finger is in my mouth all the time, and John Wilkes Booth is like, 
I'm going to kill the president. You should aspire for bigger things. <laughs> uh, the world is not enough. Dark Joe arc. <laughs> the dark Biden rises. This assassin plot was not for Lincoln alone, but was a part of a broader conspiracy concocted by Booth, which included the simultaneous slaying of Vice President Andrew Big Johnson and Secretary of State William Henry Seward, along with Lincoln. Booth would assassinate Lincoln and George Adzerat would kill the vice president in his hotel room, while Lewis Powell would murder an already wounded Secretary of State William Seward at Seward's home. All of these attacks would take place at roughly 10.15 p.m. on the night of April 14th, 1865. Synchronicity. Like, that's like a week after the South surrendered, right? Or Lee surrendered, I guess. The South didn't do it as a whole. Five days. Five yeah. Days. Well, he yeah, at least surrendered their largest army, the the Virginia. Mm. Yeah. Five days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little shy dude named David Harold would help Powell escape, and then the heroes of the Southern Resistance would reunite at the boarding house of Mary Seward. Sewer. Mary Seward. 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 There they would. Sudan. There they would grab pre-stashed supplies and slip away to the deep south where they were certain they would be welcomed as heroic conquerors and paraded through the streets like Rudy. <laughs> carried, off, carried off the football field after killing President Lincoln. He's a tiny little baseball or football player. <laughs> Booth's plan formed around his learning that the president would be attending a performance of Our American Cousin that very evening at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. Yeah, actually, during uh, my research for this episode, I watched a video on a website I can't pronounce the name of called Our American Cousin. Uh, Ian, why do I feel like you just watched incest porn and called it research? No comment. Okay. Now, Booth, as a famous actor, was allowed free range of the theater. And I believe he picked up his mail there regularly. So he went there earlier that day to stash a piece of wood and possibly chisel a peephole in the wall. Has anyone ever considered the fact that maybe he just wanted to suck Lincoln's cock through the hole? <laughs> this old glory hole? <laughs> yes, Ian. I'm sure many historians have lost sleep over John Wilkes Booth's old glory hole. I'm just imagining fucking Howard Zinn just waking up in a cold sweat. And he's just like, <gasps> <laughs> Booth wanted to give oral. He didn't have to do the oral. He didn't have to. <laughs> so Booth he could have killed him without it. <laughs> so Booth showed up to the theater that evening around 9.30, asked a boy who worked at the theater to watch his horse for him, which, by the way, I'm teleporting us way after that. This boy that held his horse for him got six years in prison for doing so, even though what? He, he didn't know. Yeah, I'll get to that later. That's nuts. Yeah. And then Booth entered a nearby saloon for a little bit of liquid courage. Yeah, we've all needed a little liquid courage before utilizing a glory hole. Mm. The old glory the hole. The old glory hole. <laughs> Roughly 30 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> I just been picturing picturing the sign <laughs> with like old O L D E like a light that's going out. Uh, fucking moths. <laughs> Roughly 30 minutes later at 10 p.m., Booth entered the theater and made his way to the presidential box upstairs. Again, his status as a prominent actor allowed him the liberty of moving around the theater without being questioned. Now, there was only one guard assigned with sitting in the hallway outside of the door that led into the president's box. Uh, his name was John Parker, and he abandoned his post to get a drink at the bar. He's like, 
I'm just gonna grab like one little sip and be right back. No one's, <gasps> no one's even gonna notice I'm gone. <laughs> I'm just imagining Booth passing him in the hallway and he just looks at Booth and goes, <laughs> He just winks. <laughs> he just winks at him. Booth's like, Oh yeah, dude, take your time. I oh, for it. sure. I got this. For sure. You're, you're good, dude. No one's gonna kill the president tonight. <laughs> Why don't you hop down and grab a Modelo and I'll watch the president for you? <laughs> I'm not gonna shoot him in the back of the head, right? It's, it's Bush 30, my guy. <laughs> Buddy. Dude, it's half off. So Booth entered the hallway door, and before him were two doors that led into the president's box. If Booth did chisel the ye old glory hole into the wall earlier, it is possible he used it now to peek in and assess the positioning of those in the box before he entered the room. A little peeping Tom. I went to a very expensive college. <clears throat> Besides the president and his wife, a Union soldier named Henry Rathbone and his fiancée were also in the box. Oh, Chante. Madam with you. At 10.15 p.m., John Wilkes Booth, armed with a derringer and a large knife, quietly entered the presidential box, stepped forward, and shot Abraham Lincoln in the back of the head. Uh, for those who don't know, a derringer is a small hand, like palm-sized pistol. It's a single shot. Cap and ball. Could also be a, a double shot. But True. Actually, I think his was two barrels, if I remember correctly. Well, I think he was out of bullets, but we'll get into that later. Anyway. He had, in fact, timed the shot perfectly to correspond with a joke in the play that he knew would elicit loud laughter from the crowd and cover the sound of his shot. Yeah, it's like, what's the deal with airline food? <laughs> Henry Rathbone turned and reacted quickly. Uh, he attempted to grab and subdue Booth, but Booth slashed at his head with the knife. Rathbone was able to shield his head with his arm, but Booth cut him nearly to the bone and severed his subclavian artery. He really sliced his Rathbone. Fun fact about Rathbone, he actually never mentally recovered from the events of that evening, and on Christmas Eve, 1883, he shot and stabbed his wife, Clara, the same woman who'd been in the president's booth, to death and attempted to end his own life with the same knife. Are are you fucking with me right now? <laughs> Nobody. This Why did he, happen. He was like, oh, I'm so sad that I'm like the president died. I have to kill my whole family. I failed my fucking country. And now I'm going to fail my country. He actually was trying to kill his whole family. Uh, he was going to go kill his kids, but his wife was like, I need to talk to you for a second. And then he killed her. Really interesting that Chris Benoit was friends with President Lincoln. Full circle. All of these jokes are intentional and on oh, purpose. I, 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 and deliberate. Professional. Indubitably. Having shot Lincoln and severely injured Rathbone, Booth began his escape. He attempted to jump from the box to the stage below, a drop of about 12 feet, but his boot, perhaps his spur, got caught up in the banister and caused him to land awkwardly and snap his fibula bone. Where's the fibula bone, Ian? Just above the ankle. Mm. The sexiest place of the time. I love it when actors show a little ankle. Oof. Big time. Now, Booth stood in front of the stunned audience, hobbled by his broken leg, and ever the showman defiantly shouted, Thick Thumper Tyrannus! Do you know what that means, Ian? Yeah, it's the uh, state motto of Virginia, and it translates to, thus always, to tyrants. Thus always to tyrants! It's like spitting. <laughs> you can't yell at me, I'm an actor, and my daddy will sue you! Sue! He then stormed out the back door, leaped on his horse, and rode off into the night, a hero in his own mind. He's just riding the horse the whole time. He's just like, 
God, I did such a cool fucking job. I am so fucking cool. I'm the coolest guy ever. I'm so fucking thick. <laughs> I'm going to do a kickflip later. <laughs> ow, 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 ow. My fibula. <laughs> so, so Booth, so Booth escaped the city, rendezvoused with David Harold at the boarding house of Mary Sewer Rat, where they grabbed their stash supplies and made their way to the home of one Dr. Samuel Mudd. Now, what do you think Dr. Samuel Mudd sounds like, Ian? Dr. Mudd sounds like a gay porno. Okay. I was thinking his voice, but that's better anyway. So doc, Dr. Mudd set and treated Booth's broken leg, and then he sent the fugitives on their way. But I think it is safe to say that the other conspirators were not as successful as Booth. While David Harold waited outside with the horses, Lewis Powell shoved his way into the home of Secretary of State Seward and attempted to shoot Seward's head in the, s- head in the sun. Black hole, son, won't you come? All right, he attempted to shoot Seward's son in the head, but the pistol misfired, and then he barged into the injured Seward's room. Powell jumped onto Seward and began stabbing him before he was hauled off by Seward's son and a Union soldier who had been visiting Seward. Thwarted, Powell forced his way out of the home only to find that Harold had abandoned his post as soon as the commotion within the house rose. Let's see what happens next. Are you excited? No. Is this boring? Yeah. <laughs> you want to go back to playing our little game? Fortnite? Well, the game that you have to play before you get to play Fortnite. What game? Whose fingers in my mouth? Oh, yeah. That's my favorite game. Across town, the German immigrant, George Adzerat, was getting fucking hammered. He began drinking at the Kirkwood House, the hotel where he was staying and where his target, Vice President Johnson, was also staying. Uh, to build up his nerve to assassinate the vice president of the United States. It kind of seems like all wait, these guys had to get drunk before that. Wait, they- Lincoln and Kennedy both had vices named Johnson? And did you know that Kennedy had an assistant named Lincoln? And Lincoln had an assistant named Kennedy? And they were both killed by guys with three names? Are you serious? Yeah. Was Abraham Lincoln Irish? Probably. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> instead of carrying out his part of the plan, Adzerat opted to spend his evening bar hopping and drank himself stupid. At one point, he even dropped the knife he was supposed to use in the gutter, so not exactly keeping a low profile. You see the charlotte knife here? I'm uh, I'm not supposed to use it to kill the prison guy, but it's a secret. You can't tell anybody. Oh, fuck. I dropped a knife. The boo's going to be mad. <laughs> so Adzerat never quite mustered the courage to make an attempt on the life of the vice president and spent the night and probably most of the next day sleeping off the drink in a different boarding house. Adzerat's brilliance was further evident in the fact that he apparently rented a hotel room in the Kirkwood house under his own name and had spent the entire evening of debauchery at the hotel bar interrogating the bartender about the vice president's movements and habits. So, like, you ever see the, like, the vice president come through here? Uh, yeah, he comes through here sometimes. Can I get you something else to drink? Yeah, I'll take another big, tall, double vodka soda. Yes, terrific. I've told you three times that we don't have vodka or soda. I have whiskey and beer. Uh, I'll take both. Um, so you're saying about the vice president, was he, is he, is he handsome? I wasn't saying anything about the vice president. Here's your drink. But so, like, if he were like, if he were to walk through here, when would he do that? 
Sir, I can't help but wonder, why are you not wearing pants? It's really hot outside. Okay. Uh, this is good beer. <laughs> what is this, Bush? Uh, yeah, we only serve Bush here in Washington, D.C. <laughs> George W., baby, let's go! <laughs> Full circle. So, obviously, it didn't take very long for Adzerat to be arrested in the following days, and the arrest of Lewis Powell, Mary Sewer Rat, they both came shortly after that. And the little boy? And the little boy? Yeah, they arrested the, the boy that held his horse. He was just like, Mister, he paid me $2. What was I supposed to do? What was I supposed to do? Let the horse go? I was just sitting there going, extra, extra, read all about, about it. it. President about to be shot in about four <laughs> minutes. So you did know. Oops, I got a big <laughs> mouth. <laughs> this is why I've gone through seven foster homes in the last week. Were there foster homes in the cowboy times? They just touch us. They foster mes- They foster molestation. They just touch us on everywhere but our hearts. Or our minds. So this... <laughs> <laughs> this only left Booth and Harold, who, after leaving Dr. Mudd's house, had been roughing it in the swamps of southern Maryland for about five days. Which is actually what I call my butthole hairs uh, during a humid day is the swamps of southern Maryland. Mm. Gross. During this time, Harold actually shot their horses in the head and sunk them in quicksand out of fear of drawing the attention of pursuant Union Calvary. Yeah, nothing says inconspicuous like gunshots and dead horses. He's just old yellering his horses and the Union soldiers are like, (laughs) been there. We've all been there. (laughs) Rather than riding on horseback, which is a totally, completely normal thing to do at the time, they were like, we got to kill these horses and walk around in the fucking boonies. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, let's do that. Just a couple of guys trekking through the swamp. Nothing weird here. Not at all. Oh, look at you. Go the Union. We love, oh, I love the, the union. union. Hey, uh, you know what? Union soldiers, over here. I believe Brian Laundry is right <laughs> around that corner. <laughs> Oof. All right. Uh, with the intention of crossing the Potomac. Potomac? Potomac. Potomac? With the intention of crossing the Potomac River in Virginia. Potomac, probably. Potomac, the Potomac Bomb River. (laughs) With the intention of crossing the Potomac River into Virginia and then onward further into the supposed safety of the South, Booth and Harold climbed into a boat provided by a Confederate sympathizer and attempted to row through the night of April 21st. However, when the sun rose the next day, they found themselves landed right back on Maryland soil and they'd gotten turned around in the night and they were basically just west of where they'd started. What a bunch of idiots. Dumb row, row, row your boat gently into... Maryland. Maryland, 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 Maryland. Look at you. We found it. <laughs> All right. These are the jokes. These are the jokes, people. They finally reached Virginia on the 23rd of April with the help of more Southern sympathizers, acquired new horses, and continued south. They crossed the Rappahannock River. Rappahannock? Rappahannock. Rappahannock. It's Rappahannock. Rappahannock the Hedgehog? <laughs> they were like, gotta go fast. And then they holed up in the farm of one Richard Garrett. And this is where things get a little sassy. And a little disturbed. Yeah. Garrett's didn't know what Booth had done. Uh, but he still distrusted him and Harold. Well, this is partially due to the fact that the still handicapped Booth screamed for a pistol every time a horse rode by. 
while the Garrets let Booth sleep in their house the first night, their growing distrust for him caused them to move Booth and Harold into the tobacco barn on the night of April 25th. We've all spent the night with another man in a tobacco barn. Nothing wrong with that. I think there's like three Toby Keith songs about that. Yeah. All of them are just like super, there's nothing weird about it. It's not, it's, it's not no, weird. It's just guys. Sleep next to your buddy in a tobacco barn. Shirtless in the hot nights. Out on the lawn. Mm. Nothing to do but do each other now. Had eight bush lights and it's feeling just right. Taking off your buddy's Levi's. Fucking your buddy next to a cow. <laughs> what? <laughs> Broke back tobacco bond. That's where we are tonight. Nothing sh- <laughs> feels so good. It feels so good. It can't be right. What does that even mean? I don't know. Okay. Well. Uh, so, so they made him sleep in the tobacco barn, and Garrett's son actually locked Booth and Harold in the barn quietly because he was worried that they were going to steal their fucking horses. Um, but meanwhile, back in Washington, D.C., Secretary of War Edwin Stanton was mounting the largest manhunt in the history of the United States for John Wilkes Booth's. Yeah, and John Wilkes Booth was mounting Harold in the tobacco barn. Okay. Booth's fellow conspirators, excluding Harold, were soon arrested and pumped for information. On April 14th, a special task force of 26 cavalrymen under the joint command of Lieutenant Edward P. Doherty. Doherty? Doherty. Do- Doherty. Edward P. Doherty. <laughs> P. Doherty. We'll call him P. Doherty for short. An intelligence officer, Lieutenant Colonel Everton Conger. Now, among those 26 chosen cavalrymen, Ian, who do you think was there? Boston Corbett! Now playing point guard for the Boston Celtics! Boston Corbett! The No Nut Wonder! The man from Down Under! John Cena? My time is here, my time is now! My balls are gone! (laughs) I fucked a cow. (laughs) Boston fucking Corbett, baby. He's Boston fucking Corbett. Fucking. He went down. He drove his car all the way down to Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. The man, the myth, the legend, the eunuch. Boston. That's that's what we should. We should write our own book about Boston Corbett called The Man, the Myth, the Legend, the Eunuch, the Madman, and the Assassin. (laughs) Following the trail of the conspirators and sympathizers that had aided Booth, Along his escape route, the task force steadily approached their goal. Just days after leaving Washington, the cavalrymen kicked in the door of Confederate veteran... Confetti Vetter. Of Eddie Vetter. <laughs> just- he, he just... The, 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 door, the, the door gets kicked in. It's like, hey, now, what are you doing in my house? What are you doing here? Just days after leaving Washington, the cavalrymen kicked in the door of a Confederate veteran named Jet, (laughs) who helped Booth and Harold cross the Rappahannock, and they actually pulled him out of bed where he was sleeping with his girlfriend's brother. Like, gay? Well. Like in a gay way? I don't think that we need to paint this with any brush. Okay. Were they having sex? We don't know. <laughs> you said sleeping. Yeah. What does that mean to you? 
He's having a snooze. You ever feel like you're just going with girls just because you're a spouse now? Never say that again. <clears throat> okay. With a little persuasion, possibly from Jet's girlfriend's brother, Ooh. Jet guided the task force to the Garrett farm just before dawn on April the 26th. The cavalry rode up the lane to the Garrett farm and knocked on the door of the farmhouse, and the frightened family quickly gave up the location of the two fugitives, who they really didn't like that much anyway, and the cavalry quickly surrounded the barn. Yeah, it didn't take long for Booth and Harold to figure it out that they were fucked. Uh, Harold wanted to surrender to them, and Booth called him a fucking pussy. <laughs> Soldiers wanted the trapped men to throw their weapons out of the barn. Yeah, Booth uh, heard that, and then he yelled, Come take it! And then he sold that to a bumper sticker company. <laughs> he actually he actually said he couldn't give the soldiers his guns because he intended to use them to shoot the soldiers. If I give you my gun, how am I going to shoot you? You see the conundrum that I'm in here? <laughs> Quite the moral quandary, if you will. I am an actor, sir. I need my props. Do you think Alec Baldwin gave up his pistol? <laughs> the These are the jokes, people. After a while, Booth agreed to allow Harold surrender, yet remained firm in the standoff himself. Firm and erect. Now, Doherty, 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 yep, Doherty or Conger determined that they would simply burn him out and instructed soldiers to begin setting fire to the rear of the barn. <laughs> According to the soldiers, as they set fire to the back of the barn, Booth apparently yelled, Well, my brave boys, prepare a stretcher for me. And they were like, The only thing that's getting stretched is your asshole because you're fucked. Also, what a fucking drama queen. <laughs> he was an actor, Ian. A thespian. <laughs> During all of this, Boston Corbett was one of the soldiers posted along the outskirts of the barn. In fact, Corbett was situated in front of a notably large space between two boards in the barn wall and could see Booth the entire fucking time. Corbett even approached the commanding officer, Doherty, and asked for permission to enter the barn and subdue Booth by himself. Yeah, the way he asked him was kind of funny. He actually sang his favorite John Fogarty song, but he changed the lyrics up to be more fitting for himself. He said, I'm in, coach. I'm ready to pray. Corbett, shut the fuck up. I swear to God, if you don't go... You shouldn't swear! God damn it, Corbett! Ah! Corbett, I will send you to hell myself! Hell is a cold stuff, raccoon. So, Corbett resumed his position along the barn, spying on Booth through the crack. What do you think Booth was doing? Jerking it. I think he was getting agitated by the fire. Doubtful. Well, according to our little Mad Hatter, Booth leaned forward a little bit, presumably to lift his rifle, and begin to attack the soldier's position near the barn doors. Yeah, he actually later stated, I saw him in the act of stooping or springing, and concluded he was going to use his weapon. At this point, God spoke to little Corbett. Corbett. Hey, Corbett, it's me, God. You know, the all-powerful snake oil salesman in the sky. Oh my God, it's you! Yes, Corbett, it's totally me, I'm totally real. Wow, I always believed, glory to God! Thank you, Corbett, that is great. That is great. That's terrific, Corbett. Hey, Corbett, could you do me a favor? Of course, God, anything for you. Okay, Corbett. Now, could you shoot John Wilkes Booth in the back of the head? The Lord wills it! Yes, Corbett, that's why I asked you to do it. Thy will will be done! Great, Corbett, thank you. See you on Sunday! 
Hey, God? Yes, Corbett? Sorry about the whole having sex with a dead raccoon thing. Oh, that's okay, Corbett. I actually don't care about that shit at all. I've always said raccoons are the sexiest creatures in the animal kingdom. They look like little bandits. Glory to God and glory to the dead raccoon. That's great, Corbett. Terrific. Just remember not to swear, though. Only I can do that. I love you, God. Okay. Bye, Corbett. Bye. So Boston Corbett raised his pistol and shot John Wilkes Booth in the back of the head. Inches. <laughs> Inches. Inches from where Booth had shot Lincoln. Yeah, he said he meant to shoot him in the shoulder just to wound him, but then he bent over, and that God guided the bullet to hit him in the head, just like in the movie Wanted. Well, the bullet severed Booth's spinal cord and destroyed most of his vertebrae. It actually took John Wilkes Booth hours to die, and he drifted in and out of consciousness while asking the soldiers sitting next to him to lift up his hands so that he could see them. Apparently, he was looking at his hands when he died around 7 in the morning, and his final words were, Youthless. Youthless. Which we have all said as we go limp before we can finish jacking off. I get it. <laughs> we just didn't have our vertebrae shattered by a bullet. We we just couldn't come in time. Yeah. You know, uh, you do the little preemie and then, then there's no more after that. I know. Thanks a lot, antidepressants. I've been there, buddy. Just for fun, here's a little excerpt from a letter written by Booth that federal officials seized after his death. I have ever held the South was right. The very nomination of Abraham Lincoln four years ago spoke plainly war upon Southern rights and institutions, and looking upon African slavery from the same standpoint held by the noble framers of our Constitution, I for one have ever considered it to be one of the greatest blessings, both for them and us, that God has ever bestowed upon a favored nation. I have also studied hard to discover upon what grounds the right of a state to secede has been denied when our very name, United States, and the Declaration of Independence both provide for secession. He's such a fucking thespian. Did he say that slavery was good for them and for us? Yeah, I remember when, he, when I was like, I like, let them work for me. In the aftermath of Lincoln's assassin's assassination, you like that? Yeah. Okay. Corbett became something of a national celebrity, a hero even. Once he was cleared of any charges for going against orders to take Booth alive, of course. God told me to shoot John Wilkes Booth in the back of the head. Yes, God told you to, but the army told you not to. Now, people came up to him on the street to congratulate him and give him a rousing huzzah, or whatever street people did at the time. People, in fact, started referring to him as Lincoln's Avenger and... The Patriot. Marvel's Lincoln Avenger, The and Patriot. Mel Gibson's star- The Patriot. Starring Mel Gibson's The Patriot. <laughs> so, for some reason, after they started referring to Corbett as The Patriot, he started using slurs for Jewish people. I don't know where that came from, but... He directed a movie about the the uh, the passion. The passion of the Christ. And uh, it was the goriest depiction of that anyone had ever seen. If I had nuts, I would be jacking off right now. He probably would have loved The Passion of the Christ. Oh, yeah, he would have been a big fan. So uh, some people even offered to purchase the pistol Corbett had used to shoot Booth, but he took the moral high ground here (laughs) for once and claimed it belonged to the United States government as it was his service pistol, but the gun disappeared shortly after that. So He made the gun 
Disappear. Corbett's best magic trick was selling the pistol. <laughs> magic trick or just being a drunk? Transaction. He's not a drunk. Oh, yeah, he got sober. He's super sober. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do the reading. That's fair. You don't know how to read. Corbett received a substantial reward for his part in subduing the president's killer and afterwards finished out his military service time. I believe he was actually relieved of his duties in part because of his health, as he had never recovered from his five months in Andersonville, and because of his increasingly erratic behavior. He even pulled a gun on a superior officer for not letting him sleep in the barn, but they let him go because he was the famed killer of John Wilkes Booth, and they could tell he was (laughs) mad as a hatter. And after a brief period where he testified in the trial of Henry Wurz, the, uh, what did you call it? The head coach. Yeah, Actually, that, no, he's the, he's the shift lead. The shift lead at Andersonville <laughs> Prison. Corbett returned to his pre-war life of making hats and screaming at strangers on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> making hats and saving souls, buddy. Carroting, if you will. He again had trouble maintaining a job. In part because he would still lecture coworkers on the evils of swearing and drinking, but also because his mental state really continued to de- deteriorate. Yeah, he bounced around New England quite a bit. Um, now, while Corbett had become something of a national icon in the North, he had become a blackguard among Southern sympathizers. What's and a, What's a blackguard? It's my show, Amanda Millinery. A blackguard's like a scoundrel. Mm, just say that. No, I like blackguard. It sounds cool. A ragamuffin, if you will. Okay. Mm, I'm gluten-free. He began receiving hate mail from those who came to view Booth as a martyr. Corbett was canceled. Another victim of cancel culture. Yeah. Boston Corbett. Yeah. The, the hate mail escalated into periodic written death threats. The perfect thing for a mentally unstable Mad Hatter to receive in the mail. Hmm. Yeah. Other than uh, anthrax. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As long as it's not more mercury. Yeah. Yeah, this further escalated into uh, his descent. Uh, As we well know, the United States is renowned worldwide for its caring and empathetic treatment of its veterans, especially those with mental illnesses. Corbett lived in poverty with physical and mental ailments. He would just be pitching a tent on the sidewalk. I like chainsaws. (laughs) He began to... (laughs) Corbett began to resent the man, and his paranoid fantasies intensified. He even slept with a pistol under under his pillow... He even slept with a pistol under his pillow and was known to wave it in people's faces during disputes. Ah, a true American. Just an American. Yeah, he also ran a church out of his dwelling in New Jersey, so. What a cool guy. Yeah, it's pretty chill. Youth pastor had the gun, my youth pastor had the gun. He doesn't brush his teeth and he has (laughs) welivetogether.com on his laptop. (laughs) That's targeted. The entire country was actually in a recession at this time, so Corbett was not alone in his struggles, and like many others, he decided to head west for better fortunes. He was able to secure a settlement title for 80 acres in Kansas, so that's where he headed. Uh, any guesses on how he got from New Jersey to Kansas in the September of 1870, Adrian? He uh, went digging in a quicksand field to find a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where that was going. Yeah. Yeah, those horses were shot in the head, though. Um, That doesn't mean they were dead. God's divine intervention. God is good. No, he walked. He walked? Yeah, he walked. He walked the lonely road. <laughs> the only one that Boston's ever known. He knows where it goes. An 80-acre lot in the state of Kansas. Oh. Oh. <laughs> No, he walked uh, about 100 miles in a week and decided to hop on a train. Okay. So, after finally arriving in Kansas, it soon became very clear why there was still an 80-acre sediment left. 
After finally arriving in Kansas, it soon became clear why there was still an 80-acre settlement left for Corbett to snag. Yeah, because it fucking sucked. It wasn't great, Bob. <laughs> yeah. It was basically just rocks. Right. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it was dirt covered in rocks, and this isn't the best land for farming, which is kind of what Corbett had planned on doing, and he found little success. Especially since he'd never farmed before, and he had no fucking idea what he was doing. Oh, no, buddy. City boy through and through. Yeah. Boston Corbett abandoned farming and settled for raising sheep and cattle. Sheep, sadly. Or no match for a freshly microwaved raccoon. Yikes. For a long while, Corbett lived in a little dugout on his rocky homestead with his pony bill. Uh, his pony with benefits, some might say. <laughs> he paid his taxes. He began receiving a pension for his military service. He made friends with his neighbors. He attended and led church services and prayer meetings and was heavily armed at all times. Corbett stood for the flag and knelt for the cross. America. Happy birthday, USA. He certainly knelt for the cross, but one thing he absolutely did not kneel for was the watered-down, progressive, mumbo-jumbo-everyone-gets-a-trophy attitude of the modern church. In fact, there's an excerpt from The Madman and the Assassin that I believe perfectly illustrates this point. Ian, if you would! He was a regular at prayer meetings where he sermonized about an unforgiving God, occasionally too vociferously, for some of the congregants. Congregants. Keep going. In one session, he caused such an uproar that fellow churchgoers interrupted the service to demand Corbett be thrown out. But after some discussion, he was allowed to stay. He was a firm believer in a hell and eternal burning for the wicked. And in his discourse, he would bring the flames quite vividly before the mind's eye. The merchant palm said... The merchant palm? What's a merchant we palm? We all know the merchant palm. The merchant palm? <laughs> yeah, he brings us goods and services. Mm. <laughs> Specifically services. The merchant Palm said he was very fearless in denunciation of evil and crime of all kinds, and he was not afraid of hurting anyone's feeling by plain truth. You know what I call that? What? Corbett was telling it like it fucking is. Oh, hell yeah, brother. He's, he's not fucking sugarcoating. Nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong. They're teaching my kids in school how to have gay butt sex. <laughs> the Bible's illegal. <laughs> They're sticking us with microchips and call it a vaccine. Oh, all of a sudden it's immoral for me to marry my 14-year-old cousin? I don't fucking think so, Joseph Biden. Do your own research. I'm immunized. Speaking of telling it how it is, I mentioned earlier that Corbett began receiving a pension, and now I have a little treat here, uh, mostly for Ian, but for you folks at home. Here's a little note that I found from the doctor who did his physical that would help him get his pension. Now, Ian, if you would please be a snobby doctor that has to look at a disgusting, emaciated, five-foot-four piece of shit. <laughs> oh, scurvy's affecting his ankles and contracting the cords under his knees. It also affects his gum and teeth, considering it's at its worst. Chronic diarrhea has also created a great emaciation with him. And Corbett is complaining of a great deal of pain in his pelvis. Pain passing up his spine and brains at times, generally worse in hot weather. It also causes dysentric condition. I, b I believe the doctor is trying to say dysenteric. Because oh. like he has dysentery. Dysenteric condition of lower bowels with bloody mucopurulent evacuation. Uh, bloody shit. Yeah. Yep. He'd intermittently fever, or he had an intermittent fever, rheumatism, and piles, and suffers constantly with pain. His tongue is coated. His breath is foul. Teeth all decaying by effects of scurvy. He's a perfect 
wreck of human suffering. So, would you swipe right? I'd swipe up. Indubitably. Is that a super like? Yeah, that it joke is. is? Yeah. I've been out of the game for a little while. The condition of Corbett's body was catching up to that of his mind, which was also declining. He still received hate mail, including a letter supposedly from John Wilkes Booth in hell. Yeah, down in hell with his buddy Stan. Stan. Satin. Satin. Corbett's paranoia continued to intensify even to the point where if he was riding his horse down the road and he saw another rider approaching him, he would dive off his horse, lay <laughs> hidden in the grass, and hold his pistol until they got close to him. Now, his neighbors grew worried by his erratic and paranoid behavior and by the fact that the interior of his home resembled that of a doomsday prepper. With guns and rations and just piles of ammunition. Fucking tactical bath. <laughs> basically, the, basically the guy from Blues Traveler, essentially, is what you're describing. He, he just has, like, tote, t- fucking totes of Jim Baker's, like, emergency <laughs> food. MREs. Yeah. All of this buildup culminated one Saturday morning in 1885 when Corbett fired his rifle towards some boys playing baseball on his property. Well, they did three things wrong. They were breaking the Sabbath. They were trespassing on my property. They weren't even playing a real sport. Well, Corbett, baseball is a real sport, and it's the best sport, and I'm going to leave it at that. It was actually invented in 1876, so these kids were fresh in the game. The the last time baseball was interesting to anybody, 1876. Okay, I'm going to choose to ignore that and move forward because now you're just trying to be hurtful. Baseball's for pussies. Yeah, I'm going to listen to the no-nut wonder over here. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I listen to this guy about balls? I killed John Wilkes Booth. I've got more balls than you could ever hope to have. Just got me there. Bitch. Well, Corbett was obviously arrested and taken to court for this, and as any good insane person does, he represented himself. At some point during the trial, Corbett did what became by now a trademark of his and brandished his pistol wildly in the courtroom. And then while everyone fled, he jumped on Bill and galloped home. Ah, uh, yes, the perfect defense. Threatening to kill everyone who's capable of convicting you. You can't charge me if you're running away. <laughs> the uh, constables came to his house to retrieve him, but when he answered the door... With a loaded rifle, they decided to just let it go and move on. Hey, Corbett. Who is it? Uh, Corbett, it's me. It's Constable Jones. I uh, couldn't help but notice you left the courtroom in a hurry earlier. What about it? Oh, no reason, Corbett. There's, uh, I noticed you have a rifle there. Yeah. I'm, just, uh, I'm just wondering if there was anything that we can do for you. You kind of have to come with us. Hold still. I don't want to do that. Corbett, st- Corbett. Corbett, I'm... Are you ready to meet God? Corbett, no. I talk to God all the time. He's great. So We're on I. good terms. Corbett. I just did, actually. Okay, well, maybe you can ask God if it's okay to shoot at little boys. He said it's fine. Okay, well, Corbett, you know what? We're just going to head out. We're just going to... You should do that. You want to... We'll just leave you here. Yeah. Okay, do you need anything? Do you need, like, a beer or... I don't drink. <sighs> Could probably help. Okay, yeah, boys, let's. We're just gonna leave him here, guys. Come, come here. Glory to God. Yeah, just come over here. Come away from I'll get off so my I property just maybe and this leave really me and my raccoon really to our own deal. devices. Because, like, I'm not gonna touch him. I don't want to grab him. What are you whispering about? Uh, Corbett, nothing. Would you? Are you leaving? Okay, yeah, we're heading out. We're gonna. All right, we'll see you later, Corbett. No, you won't. Thank God. 
So, <laughs> thoroughly alienated from his neighbors and fellow townsfolk, completely insane and chronically shitting blood, Corbett <laughs> decided to move on with his life and accept a position as an assistant doorkeeper of the Kansas House of Representatives in January of 1887. He was actually offered this job by a war buddy who felt kind of bad for the miserable little shit that Corbett had become. Yeah, so Corbett took the job, worked to a ripe old age, and then retired with a pension happily ever after. Uh, he took the job. That part is true. Um, and while at first he got along, his paranoid fantasies continued to fester, and he was convinced that those around him were whispering mockeries about his appearance. As if he wasn't fucking five foot four with his hair parted down the middle like nobody else. Okay, well, it's a perfectly normal haircut to have, bro. Jesus had it for Christ's sake. Okay. Ha! <laughs> ha! a little pun I wrote there. It's, yeah. Is that a pun? It's not a pun. Well, on one kooky day, February 15th to be exact, Corbett believed he overheard two men mocking him and his appearance, and he resorted to the Boston Corbett trademark. Yeah, he just kept spouting about how he's friends with A-Rods and the Astros suck. <laughs> nope. He pointed a gun at them, and he started yelling that Hillary Clinton was after him or something along those lines. Show me your emails! <laughs> Where's Hunter Biden's laptop? <laughs> This resulted in essentially an active shooter situation as Corbett roamed the halls, pointing his pistol at people and shouting conspiracy theories. Uh, people poured out of the building and Corbett put the gun away, picked up a broom, and pretended to sweep a hallway. <laughs> but when, Really cleaning up crime. Yeah. Uh, just sweeping the floor. <laughs> but when a constable approached him and asked him why he had done all of that shit, Corbett pulled out his gun and did it again. Hey, Corbett! Uh, just sweeping the floor, huh? Yeah. So, you're not the janitor. I am if I say I am. Okay. Well, that's hard to argue with that, Corbett. It's hard to argue with that. Uh, so, earlier, people were telling me, man, uh, I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to be a dick, Corbett. I'm, you know, I'm your bro. Yeah. Constable, Constable, Constable Porker. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, you know, a lot of people earlier, they were telling me you were, like, waving a gun at them. Is that true? That wasn't me. Oh. Well, they said it was a five foot four fucking weirdo with no balls and his hair parted in the middle like a woman. Well, I'm clearly wearing pants, so how would anyone know if I had no balls? Oh, you're right, Corbett. You're right. It's just, uh, you know how people talk. Uh, it's not that weird. Jesus had it. Okay. Do you have a gun on you, Corbett? This gun? Okay. Corbett, uh, you know what? I'm going to run. <laughs> you do that. Okay. Well, they eventually arrested him, and after about an hour of trial, he went off on a barely discernible tangent about all the forces uh, conspiring his downfall and the members of the secret society that haunted his every waking moment. They committed Corbett to the Kansas State Insane Asylum at the Topeka State Hospital. There's something wrong with my head. <laughs> yes, there is, Corbett. Yes, there is. Now, we actually have a hospital report here of how Corbett was getting along in his new digs. Now, Ian... Why don't you go ahead and flatter our little ears? Corbett is a very civil and comfortable patient. As far as his actions go, but full of cranky notions and makes frequent demands for liberty and the possession of various fighting paraphernalia. He, however, shows his delirium by that he is here for persecution, conspiracy, and fraud. He charges Cloud County officials, his friend Zinap, the legislator, the probate court, and the officers of the asylum with a deep-laid plot to get him in here and secure his little property. <laughs> his friend, the nap. <laughs> That's perfect. Call it a Freudian slip. Oh, uh, yeah, I will. I will. 
Well, the hospital basically had one attendant shadow Corbett at all times and make sure he stayed out of trouble, except for one meal where he attempted to stab a kitchen worker. Yeah, we've all been there where uh, the lunch lady won't give you a second pudding cup. You've... I'm going to move on from that. It seems as though Corbett was incarcerated was here. Was that a Freudian slip? Did you stab your lunch lady because she wouldn't give your little fat ass a fucking pudding cup? Allegedly. <laughs> I moved around schools a lot, <laughs> but I, I got my pudding cups in the end. <laughs> that bitch Kathy got what she had coming to her. It seems as though Corbett was incarcerated here for just under a year when the fateful day of May 26th, 1888 arrived. Corbett was out walking the grounds when an opportunity presented itself in the form of an unguarded horse. Corbett leaped atop the horse and tore out of the history books and into the world of our wildest imaginations, never to be heard from again. Though some people say he died in the Great Hinkley Fire in Minnesota in 1894, I choose to believe he ended up on a beach in Mexico drinking margaritas. The Great Hinkley Fire is actually the same fire that injured Ronald Reagan. <laughs> the Great John Hinkley Fire of 1894. Take me where the eagles lie, it's John Hinkley's fire! <laughs> and that is going to conclude part two of Boston fucking Corbett. Let's hear it. Yeah, we made it. We did it. Go Sox. Go Sox. Go Sox. Da Bears. That's still Chicago. Eh, so. You can't yeah. prove that. Well, I actually can. So yep. next week, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a lighter episode, little re- uh, a little less research for me. Uh, don't worry. A little less sassy, a little less disturbed. But the jokes? A little jokes more funny. A little bit more funny, hopefully. A little bit more funny. Um, this one took a lot out of me. Uh, and I put a lot in him, if you know what I mean. Okay. Well, there's a chance that next week on the lighter episode, our friend Nick from Hippie Combine in the Holy Land of South Dakota is going to come back for that. So this time we're going to tape his microphone to his fucking head so that you can actually hear him. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a pillowcase, right? Mm-hmm. The full bars of soap. <laughs> <laughs> Hold, and then beat his balls to a pulp. We're going to beat Nick's balls. Yeah. So do we have, we have some plugs? CBT. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we're on Twitter at LSLD pod. Uh, I changed mine. Uh, I don't like it, but it's LSLD Ian. You sound like a Mormon missionary. It does. Yeah. I'm a, I bash my bros. I'll probably change it to, I bash LSLD or something like that. Are eventually. you, are you fully tra- transitioning your Instagram into being an Instagram for the pod? Or is that just a temporary thing? It's a temporary thing. Cause I boosted a, mm, yeah, right, right, right. I uh, I want to share my film, so we can make a separate Instagram. <sighs> Maybe. Well, well we gotta make we have to make reels. Everybody's doing the fucking reels. Stay tu- stay tuned to see whether or not we start an Instagram. Probably. We'll not. Po- how about we post a Twitter poll if you want us to start an Instagram? We'll do that. We're on the twenty five of you that follow us on Twitter can vote on that. We're on uh, you- YouTube and Patreon and Google Play and You're Spotify welcome, and uh, everywhere you can find us. What is it? The Patreon is is patreon.com slash LSLD. Yeah, patreon.com slash LSLD. Easy. So please don't kill yourselves uh, unless you're a pedophile. And then that's fine. Um, as above, so below me. Can you love you, man?